um, going through the book of Revelation. And uh, we're coming to uh, chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to, we're kind of taking big chunks. That's the safest thing, uh, Edward and I feel. We're going to take big chunks and kind of more of an overview uh, of uh, the, the themes there. Um, but we're promised that if we even read it, we will be blessed. So we're going to read it together. Normally, I'm told, normally at this point, chapter 6 and onwards, people are tempted to stop reading the book of Revelation. And uh, other people are tempted to stop preaching through the book of Revelation. And I can say that that is true. It's not that the first five chapters are easy, but there is something more straightforward in the first five chapters or slightly easier anyway, that glorious vision in chapter 1 that John received, the letters to the churches which have been a real challenge to us as a church, to, to actually discern what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church as well. And then that wonderful, uh, glorious vision of worship uh, that we saw in chapter 4 and 5. Uh, but from now on it gets a little bit unfamiliar and uh, with strange language, apocalyptic kind of language and symbols with seals and trumpets and bowls and beasts and witnesses and all that. But we will press on in humility and reverence. And uh, at the very beginning, we say we don't know all the answers. And if you ever meet someone who understands the book of Revelation perfectly, they're not telling the truth. So the plan is that we'll look in general themes. So we're going to read chapter 6 and chapter 7. I watched and the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come! And there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Then the lamb opened the second seal. And I heard the second living creature say, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed as they had been was completed. 
I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat's hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late fig trees drop when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves. And among the rocks of the mountains, they called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath had come, and who can stand? And after this... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or in any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having a seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000, tribe of Reuben, 12,000, Gad, 12,000, Asher, 12,000, Naphtali, 12,000, Manasseh, 12,000, Simeon, 12,000, Levi, 12,000, Issachar, 12,000, Zebulun, 12,000, Joseph, 12,000, Benjamin, 12,000. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water, living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Wow. I want to read just a few verses from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 13, which act as a parallel. I want you to see this as a kind of parallel to these verses that we've just read. Mark chapter 13, I'll read uh, verses 7 and 8 and then 24 to 27. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Then from verse 24. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Lord, help us to understand your word to us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And I say again, wow. Amazing to read these scriptures. The big theme of these chapters is evil. But how evil is overcome by the one who sits on the throne. Because God always has the last word. There are questions which arise which are good questions. Questions that come out on every Alpha course that I run. Why does God allow suffering? Why does evil prosper? Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Either God is good and not strong enough or God is strong but not good enough. And the question of evil in our world clamors for an answer. And it was the same in the first century as it is now in the 21st century. If the kingdom of God has come, why isn't the world, or why doesn't it seem to be any better? No one ever asked that question. John, when he has this revelation, this amazing revelation from God, he takes up this question in these two chapters. It's revealed to him. But he's not going to be rushed. The scroll which he saw in his vision that no one could open. And as he wept among the worship of heaven, he wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll but the Lamb. Who looked as if he had been slain who was seated on the throne, was worthy to open the scroll. And the scroll represents God's covenant to give salvation to humanity. That's why we read from Mark 13, Jesus' words to his disciples about those days and about the evil in the world. And Mark's reading stops us from viewing these seven seals as chronological history that you could map out and say, when that's happened, then that will happen, then that will happen, as if it was a chronological thing. It's not. This is an overview of history. Back to our question of evil. When evil things happen, it seems to obliterate everything that is good. We know that from our own lives. Even, even the, the silliest things in our lives, like a toothache, if you've ever had a really bad toothache or a migraine, it eliminates any awareness of health elsewhere in the body, doesn't it? It's just focused on that one thing. A sore toe makes it impossible to appreciate the wonderful fact that your elbow still works. 
question is, what does it all mean? The unsealing of this scroll and the seven seals unfolds the history of mankind in a way and gives us an overview of it. Ultimately, Jesus takes full responsibility for what is happening on planet Earth. He takes full responsibility for it and reveals to us a bigger picture which we often fail to see or comprehend because we are faced with something that is overwhelming at times. In the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, history comes into focus. It has meaning. It has purpose. And in John's vision, as each seal is broken, we get another window on that history. The first four seals reveal four horsemen, sometimes known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, a horse was an animal for battle. You didn't use a horse for farming or anything else. An ox was for farming. A donkey was for transport. But a horse was for warfare. And it seems from beginning to end, there is warfare. The basic nature of history is warfare. We are in a battle. We have always been. Eugene Peterson, one of the great commentators, says war is the human condition. War is the human condition. In the last three and a half thousand years of recorded history, there have only been 268 years without war in, on this planet. And as we look upon our world right now, you would be able to lose count of the wars and conflicts in our world. But there is an even greater and bigger conflict that we cannot see that is raging. A cosmic battle. And that war is fought out in many aspects. It's fought out individually. There is a battle, a war for every soul that has ever lived on this planet. This is a story of salvation, God's salvation, offered to humanity that rebelled against him. But for every life, there is a battle. God wants all to be saved, but it is a battle. It's fought out in families and social groups. It's fought about among the nations. Have you never thought, what is behind all the strife in the world? Is it just the badness of man or is there something else that is stirring it? And there is. There is a cosmic battle. High issues are decided every day, yet Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the Prince of Peace. It's who He is, it's what He does. And he's not just worshipped on a Sunday. He is triumphant every day. But it doesn't appear on the news at six o'clock. 
Not often anyway. Doesn't often appear in the newspapers that Jesus is triumphant over all evil. Now and again you just get glimpses. Just last week in the Independent. It says Mourinho is tipped for England boss. That's not the good news. Although, no. Full page spread in the Independent about a guy called Nigel Benn. Many of you won't remember. I remember him. He was a thug of a boxer. Very, very strong guy. This whole page spread in the middle of the Independent tells how he has found Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. How he got to the point where he was committing suicide. He had put the pipe from his exhaust in his car into the car, but it didn't work. And he met with Jesus. And he was broken because he had been a thug. He had been a very violent man. He had been a serial adulterer. While his wife was giving birth to his second child, a lap dancer was giving birth to his third And he meets with Jesus. And he is gloriously converted and spends all his time telling other people about Jesus who can save a life. And God has restored his marriage. A miracle. His wife is a Christian. And they testify to the power of Jesus. And they go about ministering to couples. Don't often hear that, do we? And that is eternal. Something has changed eternally. Because not only is he saved and his wife saved, and the influence that that will have. He is preaching to men. He has a mission to reach men for Jesus. Just a glimpse. The kingdom of God breaking in. Part of the cosmic battle. Do you know Satan thought he had him? Lost in all the mire of his sin. And he knew it because he wanted to end it all. Yet Jesus saves him. Just a glimpse. Jesus is king. The four horsemen. The four horses. I want to just read just another few verses from Revelation 19. It does reflect on this next bit. I saw heaven standing open. This is Revelation 19.11. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written on it. King of kings. Lord of lords. Jesus, meek and mild is the Lord Almighty who rides out in front of the armies of heaven 
And we'll deal with evil, and we'll deal with sin, and we'll deal with sickness, and we'll deal with death once for all. Jesus, who in this earthly life of his, rode on a donkey into Jerusalem as this servant king, is pictured in heaven on that white horse. The end of evil is coming. Its day has been set. The lost will be gathered in as the gospel is preached to all nations and those who respond will be gathered. Come is the cry of the church. It's sometimes the cry of my heart. Yeah, come in revival. Yes, please, but come in all your glory. There are some days when I just cry out, come, God, that the world will see who you are. But that will be an awesome day. And for those of us who know him, it will be a glorious day. But for those who do not know him, it will be a terrifying day. There is debate whether who is the first horseman on the white horse here, and no one has ever kind of got to the real bottom of it, who it is. I'm going to go with that it's Jesus taking that Revelation passage in uh, Revelation 19. But the other three horses, they summarize evil. The red horse, with bloodshed and cruelty and torture. Remember who is behind all of these things. The black horse with the scales held by its rider of famine. The whole nature out of balance. And the pale horse with death, epidemic sickness and Hades following onwards. Death is not the end. Judgment is the end. And each of these evils that are depicted in these seals are common to us. We recognize them. Each is disguised so that the world accepts their presence without actually seeing what's behind them. Amazingly, a quarter of the earth killed, not in one catastrophic event. This is an overview. War is evil. Famine is evil. We cannot watch those scenes on our television screens and not know that evil is behind all of that. That would cause somebody to shoot somebody else because they had a bag of rice that said USA written on it. Wouldn't even let their own folk have rice. Yet they were starving. Something is, ah, that's evil. The world out of balance, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and yet the rich live on credit and their debts increase in size to the trillions. The church is the community that insists and consistently insists through all the centuries on calling evil by its right name. This is cosmic warfare. Seen in the seeable and the tangible, but all that's behind it. But all of these will meet with the one who rides on the white horse. And will destroy them all. The fifth seal is open. It's the cry of the persecuted. 
How long before you judge the world? How long, Lord? We live in an age where there is more persecution than ever before. You read through the early years of church history how terrifying it was to be a Christian, fed to lions in the arena, killed for sport, yet there is more persecution now than ever before. But in this picture, each is given a white robe and just told to wait a little longer. How long? Just wait a little longer. And the church cries out today, how long? And God says, wait a little longer. The sixth seal is opened. And at last, we have a reference point. My heart leapt. I recognize something of this. Mark 13. Jesus said it. And although evil is behind all these natural disasters and disorder in the universe, these ones that are mentioned in the sixth seal, whether they're literal or symbolic, that misses the point. These signs herald the return of the king to judge the world. There is a day It has been set when Jesus is coming again to judge the whole world. And every single one will have to stand before him. And there is no neutral ground. No just no man's land in the middle. Everyone will stand before him. And he will do away with all evil. Why doesn't he do it now? Why hasn't he done it already? Because he hasn't gathered all that have been saved yet. There are still more to be saved. Still more to be saved. Till the full number come in. We, our minds boggle at that, but that's when it will come. says, on that day, all the high and mighty, the kings and the generals and the rich and the mighty, to the slaves who don't acknowledge him will say, hide us. It's a terrifying picture. All God's people and the whole creation will go, come, come. We don't want to live in a world that is full of evil and see the kingdom of God in all its fullness. We see glimpses of it now. We're part of that story. If you've been saved, you're a part of God's salvation history all through the ages. There's more. There's these ironic words about the wrath of the Lamb. It doesn't seem to, they don't seem to fit. It seems to be sort of one of those things that are out of kilter, the wrath of the Lamb. There are 300 words in English to describe fears and phobias. You know, arachnophobia, that's a fear of um, spiders. And there's sphexophobia, fear of wasps. And there's 300 of them, but there's not one that describes a fear of lambs. Because we, we're not fearful of lambs. They're woolly. They're cute. 
In fact, they're afraid of us, and for good reason. Sunday lunch. <laughs> Mint sauce and all that. But this lamb is different. This lamb is the Lion of Judah. This lamb is the one who was slain. This lamb is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this lamb is not safe. But he is good. He's the best. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he is the lamb of God who will bring the judgment on that final day. And who can stand? Who can stand? Well, chapter 7 tells us the angels stand. They're messengers of God who carry out his commands, deliver his counsel. Even this revelation was delivered by an angel to John. They are not intimidated by the evil horsemen. They stand. Mark 13, verse 26 says, The Lord sends his angels to gather the saved because they've been sealed. And so too do we stand in Christ. Not in our own strength. We could never stand. We stand in Christ. And we have been sealed by Christ. That seal is the Holy Spirit. That seal is the blood of the Lamb. It brings echoes of Exodus, doesn't it? When the angel of death passed over and the doors that had the blood of the lambs on them, they were passed over. Who can stand before those who are sealed, who have been marked out? We have a symbolic number, 144,000. So much ink has been spilt on this number, 144,000. Cults and sects go to town on the numbers and figures in Revelation. Jehovah's Witnesses, who will tell you that 144,000 will inherit the kingdom of heaven, yet there's 7 million of them worldwide. The rest will be relegated to the second division. What nonsense. It's a symbolic number. As John then sees the multitudes that no one can count. Millions. From every language, tribe and nation, tongue, all those, everyone gathered before the throne, wearing white robes, waving palm branches, worshipping. That's a giveaway who's a Christian. They worship Jesus. They love Jesus. And there are millions and millions of us. And the Lord knows who are his. And they're worshipping the lamb who was slain. God who was crucified, tortured, suffered. Who actually suffered for us. Entered this world of suffering. But transformed formed a place of suffering into a place of salvation. The elect there are not only safe, but they're exuberant. And the most frightening representations of evil 
there is set alongside extravagant praise. I saw this with my own eyes. Christians who were persecuted, who could even have the police knock on their door the following day. When I saw them worshipping, they were just consumed with Jesus. Paul in prison, when he's been flogged, what is he doing in prison? He's singing. The martyrs in the Colosseum, before they're dragged out to be killed, what do they do? They sing about the Lamb of God. Christians sing. Even in the face of evil, they sing about God, for God, to God. And in this picture of these seals, evil, all evil in this big picture is contained between the first and the seventh seal. Between Jesus and the prayers of the saints that come in chapter 8. And if we were looking for an answer in the Bible to why does God allow evil in the first place, he doesn't actually set out an answer to that. We could have discussions, and we do have, on that topic. Evil is a fact. Cosmic warfare is real. But this is the most important fact. It is passing. It is passing. All wars will cease. All famines will end. All sicknesses will be healed when Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes again. It's what we're living for. When he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And all those who have gone before us in Christ will meet up with again. Before the throne of the Lamb. And he says, never on that day, never again. He emphasizes that at the end of chapter 7. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Never again. There is evil around. And we, even we, are in the battle. But this is the truth of this passage in Revelation. Jesus conquers all. And the day is coming when there will be no more evil. But in the meantime, we sing for Jesus. And we fight for him. Because there are those around us who need to hear about this Jesus. And we need the courage and the boldness. And if we haven't got it, ask for it. If you get a bit of it, ask for more. I need it. I want the world to know. The world has to know. The lost have to know about Jesus. God says, yeah, I've sent, I've sent my team. And here we are. I have to ask one question. There's somebody here 
Are you ready to meet Jesus though? He's calling you to be forgiven and saved, but don't leave it too late when you meet him in judgment. Don't leave it. Why would you ignore him? Why would you say no to him? He died for you. Come into his team and make a difference. Let's just pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. We, we humble ourselves before it. We ask that what is of you, you will, by your spirit, apply to our hearts. And what is of me, I pray that it will just be lost. But we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are the lamb on the throne. Salvation belongs to you. We rejoice. We rejoice. We pray for a lost and broken world. With all the wars that spring into your mind as we just mentioned that. All the conflicts in the world. Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on your world. Save the lost. Bring evil to an end. Thank you that you say yes. It will happen. It will happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to share communion together. This is a